you are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. For more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner, and I have my co-host, Ethan Broga, who's also a Certified Financial Planner here in the studio today. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. How's it going? It's going great. Good. You're living the dream. No doubt about it. <laughs> this show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning advice that you can use to make a lifetime of smart financial decisions. If you want to get a hold of us, Ethan, how do we do that? Well, there's really uh, two ways. First way is via email, and you can reach us there at, at contact at empiradio.com. Or I believe we're also taking on the air live calls today, right? That's right. We're recording, and uh, we're not recording, we're are, are broadcasting live. live. Right. Well, that's so, pretty exciting. This yeah, is you a, give us a call right now. This is the second time we've done this, and the number to reach us right now, if you have a burning, urgent question to get across, a burning desire, <laughs> it is 866. 866- Four seven two five seven nine zero, and again, like uh, like last week, if we get a call or two, um, maybe the first five callers even, I, I'd give a free copy of my favorite financial book. Really, I really would do that. That'd be awesome. I'd love to give away all five today. Alrighty, that'd be that'd be fantastic. So, if we got questions or concerns, comments, whatever it might be, give us a call. Give us a call. Um, this isn't car talk, though, so don't don't call us about that. Just right. financial stuff. Yeah, if you have car problems. Uh, maybe check AAA or click and clack. Those, those guys are pretty good too. Click and clack, yeah. that kind of stuff. But um, all right, so um, sounds good. Anything else you have, have there, Ethan? Well, About contacting us or what we're doing or who we're doing it for or how we're doing it? <laughs> well, yeah, we can we can circle back around that really quick. If uh, you know, we've offered this before on the air numerous times. If you are an individual investor out there looking for some some independent guidance on their investments or financial planning, uh, by all means, we'd love to help it. And you can give us a, a call. And we can schedule just a review. It doesn't cost anything to talk. And we can we can see what's going on in your financial life and see how we might be able to set things up perhaps a little better. Well, that sounds pretty good. It sounds like uh, the people here in the studio audience are happy with that idea. Nice very, very enthusiastic. Nice yeah, I like that. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> And, of course, if you're a financial advisor, perhaps you're working in the industry already, maybe you're running your own practice and find that you're spending a lot of time doing things other than working directly with clients and helping them make smart decisions because there's a lot to do uh, when you're running your own business. Uh, you may be interested in partnering up with us, at least hearing, hearing how that would work, and uh, so you can spend more time focusing on the things you really enjoy about your work and, and working with clients. Cool. Well, let's let's get into this, Ethan. Um, I you know I spent some time here before the show just scanning the headlines and uh, so much uh, so much news out there. I mean, you could really work yourself into quite a frenzy if if you take the time to uh, read a lot of the stuff that's out there. We've got uh, you know continued protests and riots in Greece, a lot of uncertainty in the eurozone, right? The sovereign debt crisis. Mm-hmm. These are all big buzzwords that are going around. Um, article was forwarded to me about uh, Bank of America and um, them shifting derivatives into a uh, insured um, subsidiary in hopes of uh, 
subsiding fears of their counterparties and wanting to get it uh, FDIC insured. And I and I and when I forwarded the link, it goes to um, a website that's got all kinds of wild stuff um, in the background about uh, you know the world coming to an end kind of thing. Tap waters, poisonous. Um, uh, why the market's going to co- collapse and all those kinds of things. I mean, it's just prevalent. I don't see a lot of extremely positive news out there. Um, and we were working with a client just yesterday, and we were talking yeah. about how it seems that it it we we tend to go through one extreme to another. Where um, in this last decade, it's just been a series of blows to the market economies around the world and shocks to the system in crisis. Uh, and I know if you're out there and you're trying to build a, a plan to retire or to put your kids through college, a lot of this can derail you. Um, and I know it can be very unnerving. And I think that that is a, a significant value of getting connected with somebody that has some knowledge and, and understands some market history. Right and uh, can help guide you through these difficult times. And guiding you through it doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, can predict the future. You know, and somehow they're able to get you in and out of the markets at all the perfect times. You're going to have to go through some tough times. You're going to go through some really good times. And what what I thought you made a very good point is that usually in all this chaos, or or during the late '90s, for example, the uh, optimism and the uh, at that point, people perceived very, very little risk and were taking a lot of risks that they didn't really understand until those risks fully emerged. Right. And I mean, we saw that even with the large banking institutions that were taking risks mm-hmm. within that they didn't really fully understand or just didn't account for. Didn't think that housing is a very simplistic risk that they were taking was this idea that housing prices wouldn't decline, but that they could go up at up beyond historical highs in, in a very short period of time with no threat, a very naive mistake for what are supposed to be very large and sophisticated institutions. <laughs> right. I remember that. The, the model specifically didn't have a, a factor in for allowing for prices to decline. They only were a positive number at all times. Seems like it. Um, but I, I think you had some, some good advice, which was, hey, what we're trying to do on a personal level with our clients and maybe how we can help you if you call into the show with questions um, or if you want to have us take a look at what you're currently doing. I and mean, we're not going to pressure you to do anything with us. Um, but I think there's this happy place in between that says, hey, well, I if I go to the doom and gloom, historically speaking, when those articles and, and when that information was pervasive, um, was pretty close to times where markets turned around. And vice versa, when everything looks too good to be true, it probably is. Right. Um, but one way of combating that is a recognition of where you are in life and what you're trying to accomplish, what resources you have available, and uh, what might be a, a, a logical and time-tested approach through all these different scenarios. Because as much as you hear, well, this time it's different or this is a different, it's not. It's not. Um, we will continue to go through bubbles and we'll go through crisis periods um, indefinitely into the future and there's been one good way of combating that and it's don't take any more risk than you need to 
and be very careful about who you're listening to and how you're getting that advice. I mean, if you read all these different articles that are hitting, constantly being put out there and you were acting on them, um, I, I think it would explain, and I was just looking through the Morningstar s- study here, uh, I was reading an article that referenced it, um, about they have it a decade now where they've been tracking investor returns and comparing them with the general average returns of the mutual funds, Ethan. Right. And uh, without going through the whole long report, I'll give you the the short of it was for the decade ending in December of 2009, uh, with investors who uh, were moving in and out of all kinds of different funds, the combination of all the different funds did somewhere in the neighborhood, Ethan pulled us up of, uh, I think it was about, I want to make sure I get the right number. Um, you know, I can comment while you're looking okay. for that. Yeah. One of the things you're, you're hitting on is... is What am I hitting on? Well, one thing is that when you when you tend to look at the, the news and make investment decisions based on that, you really are driven to extremes because you either you have the view that, you know, maybe like the world's going to be ending in 2012 or, you know, maybe it's the end of the euro or all, the, all these kind of headlines that you can look at and, and see and, and then have to interpret and then decide what you're going to do differently as a result. The main thing is, I think, is, is staying away from the extremes. You know, don't don't be all in cash, right? Because you're purely defensive, and, and don't be all in. Well, the other extreme would be uh, on one stock. You know, there's a significant amount of risk in either of those two positions, and somewhere in the middle is probably the, the the best place to be for most people. And I think one one test that I would encourage people to take is, what is your does your strategy require you to abandon the fundamental principle of diversification? If, if it does, then you have the wrong strategy. Right. That means if you're all in cash, you're not diversified. That isn't right. the, is not the best place to be. If you're all in bonds, that isn't the best place to be. It's the combination of all the different asset classes and investments that you have at your fingertips to invest in. That's where the magic really happens. The number was, for the decade, um, the average fund of all the different in investment fund asset classes was something to the effect of 3.18%. But the actual investors, the average investors, um, received a return of about 1.68. So almost half, right, of the 50% of the actual return that uh, if they had just held all these positions um, for the whole decade, the average investor got about half of the return. But uh, undoubtedly, at different times, I'm sure they were exposing themselves to the risks Right. Of all of those those mutual funds, and the reason, as you go through the whole article, is simply that investors make decisions, and I can see why. With all this nonsensical stuff, and we'll go through some of it on the show. How much time we have here, Simon? One minute. Um, we'll go through some of it on the show today, and, and I, I thought the theme could be: then let's just kind of go through some of this and try to encourage you to stay calm, but also use these times to evaluate whether or not you are properly diversified, and maybe we can help out with that and, and talk about what, what we mean and go a little further than what uh, beyond what you just, right. the foundation you just laid there, Ethan, about how to do that and how we, we try to do that. I don't know. I have no idea how much, where we're at on all this, Ethan, with this new format. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pretty soon the music will probably start playing and then we'll, tunes. then we'll know. Um, there we go.
talking business? Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Ken and Ethan. Ethan, going into the break, we were talking about... Uh, I'm just laughing because of the music. Um, we were talking about... Um, what were we talking about, Ethan? I think we're going to talk about... Expand a little bit on the uh, concept of diversification, what that means to us. But I think what you were talking about was talking about some of these... Uh, the headlines and things that we could discuss and <laughs> how right. investors can kind of make sense of them, if I recall. That's right. And uh, before we do that, again, if you want to call in on the show live and uh, ask us a question about some strategy that you're considering or pondering, give us a call at 866-472-5790. You could also email us, contact at empiradio.com. You know, Ken, uh, just real quick. Uh, yeah, okay. I would... I would take any 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 question really, like a trivia question. Wow, wow! Not just financial questions today. Today just only. Just call though. us and say hi. Maybe you let like us know you're out there. What Ethan's doing? Um, yeah, that's, that sort of thing. Okay. 
that sounds pretty good to me. Well, for example, um, Ethan, uh, let's, you know, I was on, uh, going through this Wall Street Journal page. I like to do that. Sure. Um, and they have a whole list of topics, and I'm assuming that they're putting them there for subscribers that are, you know, trying to make decisions about their personal financial situation. Um, and so one of these was recently we had done a, uh, we were doing a show and just talking about author Larry Swedro's uh, blog, and he had conventional wisdom, um, you know, what, why not to follow, I think he had nine or ten things that were his list of con- what were conventional wisdom and why you wouldn't want to follow that. And uh, here we have a writer for, uh, it's Brent Ahrens, it looks like, mm-hmm. writer for Smart Money, and uh, he says, 10 bogus investing truths. Uh, in this market, the conventional wisdom no longer holds. And if you remember, we were kind of joking, Ethan, that conventional wisdom is in the eye of the beholder, I guess, because what what's conventional wisdom to one person is not to another. I think and, we discovered that. Yeah, and, the, and so it's kind of funny because... Um, and he, it seems that whoever is writing the article and has their viewpoint, um, they it, it's popular to chalk up the opposite viewpoint as, well, that was conventional wisdom, and it must be the current thing to say, well, conventional wisdom doesn't work. Yeah. Is there any time when conventional wisdom does work, Ethan? Hmm. Seems like it must sometimes. Yeah. We need like a conventional wisdom czar who actually says what is conventional wisdom and what isn't. That'd be interesting. It'd be kind of cool. Well, number one on his list, I thought we could go through this. And we I should. love your um, educated comments, <laughs> as <laughs> usual. Ethan's an incredibly bright man. We'll see how that goes. And uh, so, okay. Hey, who's, who's laughing? Hey, what's so funny? Simon, get, get these ladies out of here. This, this is a radio show. The laughing okay. I don't think I'm bright. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Can't be that. You can't time the market. So that's <clears throat> he's claiming that that's conventional wisdom. And all the research we've seen on uh, what people actually do with their money, I would beg to differ with that. I would think that conventional wisdom. My argument would be that it, it that that most people, if we're looking at what they do with their dollars, um, believe that there is some value in in timing markets, at getting it out. When things don't look so good and, and getting back in when things are great, that to me is the kind of buy low, sell high. Uh, they most investors try to connect right. that to this idea of well, you 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 buy low and you sell high kind of thing. And yeah. Um, so, but let's go through this. So you can't time the market. So much for that, he says. Two metrics have done a very good job of telling you over the decade when to be in stocks and when to be out, and both appear to be on the money once again. They were flashing red for months leading up to the summer swoon. First is called Tobin's Q. And I'm not going to bore you with the complicated explanation of what Tobin's Q is. I'm going to summarize that, which basically says if you were going to build a company from scratch, you would somehow come to a value of what that would cost. And and then compare that value to the the value of... um, what the current what the current company is trading at. All right. Um, 
And then the second he uses is a metric called the cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio, which we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Schiller's PE, Professor Schiller, who we've interviewed on our radio program, it's on our archives, from Yale University. Uh, He was the author of uh, a book called Irrational Exuberance and um, several others. And in this case, you're doing a price to earnings ratio using, uh, instead of just the current price in the forward year's earnings estimate or a one-year snapshot, it uses the average earnings over a 10-year period to try to smooth things out. And when you use that measure, um, he's stating that uh, in the article, because I didn't run the numbers today, but uh, he's saying, well, things are still pretty expensive. Uh, looking at that, it is, I thought he said somewhere closer to 19 relative to the historical 16 um, at where you're at. So I guess his view was uh, both measures are signaling caution, though less than they did six months ago. The Schiller measure can be found on the professor's website. Tobin Q requires sifting through the Federal Reserve's quarterly flow of funds report. Hmm. Um, do you have any comments about that? So I, I, his argument, I guess, is that conventional wisdom is you can't time the market, but he's found a way through these two metrics to do it. He doesn't yeah. back it up with any long-term data. Um, and with, with the amount of academic research that gets put out on strategies of approaching stock and bond markets, I've looked at the Schiller methodology, and we, we, we've looked at that. And yeah. um, there, there's some merit to the idea that if you – um, look at P.E. ratios in this way using these longer-term averages, and you said, hey, when P.E. ratios got below the average to a certain degree, historically you've, you've gotten higher than average returns for the subsequent decade, the next decade, and vice versa. But there's no, there's no pinpoint accuracy around that, and it's very difficult to determine how long over or under pricing will persist and the, the real tricky tricky part in all of that is is trying to get a hold of uh, short-term earnings growth rates you know what happens and the aberrations that happen in the short term um, from the time you measure it so we take the 10-year average of, of earnings right and then we apply that to the current price of stocks um, is that reflective of what's going to happen for the next 10 years because that's what what most investors are looking at is the forward earnings expectations. I see, not so much the backwards. Yeah, but it, it it gives you an idea, and certainly, you know, if we were back looking back in the tech boom, when the S and P was trading at close to fifty times earnings, that for somebody who had an overexposure to equities relative to their willingness and and uh, need to take risk, you know, their capacity and their tolerance. That would have been a, at least a reasonable th- sign to say, "Hey, let's take a look here." You know, sure. Should we should we continue on that path? You know, I, I, if it's airtight, I mean, well, if this this methodology is airtight, uh, I think probably everybody would be using it. Yeah, I'd have to see the empirical data. Sure. Um, on using the combination, he he doesn't he doesn't give you any advice in terms of how you would use these going forward. Or the success and the, the, again the accuracy and accounting for costs and taxes yeah. 
Um, a very generic and unsubstantiated statement. I would I would have to call him out on the carpet. And it's only it's contradictory too. At one at the beginning of this particular part of the article it says both appear to be on the on the money once again. They were flashing red for months leading up to the summer swoon. Uh, so that appears to me. Hey, now that it's time to get back into stocks. But then at the end of the statement it says both measures continue continue to signal caution. The less than they did six months ago. So <laughs> I'm still perplexed. Is where, what do you, what's the call? It's almost like a non-call. Is he a waffler? Is that what well, it's not particularly clear, and okay. it is. I mean, that's part of the point, I guess. Okay. Not helpful, I guess, is how I'd put it. <laughs> well, I, and then when we look at this, I think that's our goal here, is to try to come at this from the angle of the average person reading it might just say, well, I guess you can time the market, because that's his proposition. If you get back to that is, well, conventional wisdom is you can't. He's saying you can, but he doesn't ex exactly say what we should be doing right here. If it was, if it, yeah, exactly. Should we be selling all of our stock? Is that what that means? <laughs> if it's clear. Should we reduce it by 50%? Then why is he so ambiguous? <laughs> yeah. Why, why, why are we hiding? Nobody, he doesn't want to put himself out. Of course not. Okay. So uh, I don't like that at all. No. Um, and again, I, I would, I would beg to differ on what conventional wisdom here is about timing the market. Secondly, the cash on the sidelines will drive this market higher. How often have we heard this? I've heard that before. Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. I've heard it. Sure. Hey, there's a lot of cash. I hear on, on uh, what, CNBC? You like that channel. Um, but there's cash sitting on the sidelines. And um, he says, not long ago, I met a bunch of professional investors, and this line came up again. But he says, it's a total myth. Take a deep breath, please. For every buyer of stock, someone else must be a seller. Sorry, but there, there it is. If someone on the sidelines takes 1000 in cash and uses it to buy, say, ExxonMobil stock, then someone else must sell $1,000 of ExxonMobil stock and take the cash. This is entirely true in terms of for every somebody at all times Owns must all be stock. holding all the stock. That's true. Right? Uh, but why do, does the market go up and down? You know, in, in his analysis, or I, I think what he's saying here is it doesn't explain why the market would go up and down. If a bunch of people rush in and buy stocks um, because someone has to sell them the stocks, I guess he's saying, well, that wouldn't drive prices up. But I'd like to, to talk about that. That's a little confusing. Um, and I'm not, I'm, again, well, as it relates to conventional wisdom, um, is, is, is the statement then that conventional wisdom is whenever there's any cash on the sidelines, uh, you can expect the market to go higher? Is that? I'm perplexed. I'd like to talk about that when we get back. We'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. 
And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at Empirical. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, and we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Um, I'm your co-host, Ethan Brogo, alongside, well, actually across from Ken Smith, CEO of Empirical Wealth Management. We're not that close. <laughs> um, once again, if you'd like to get a hold of us today while we're, while we're talking here, we'd love to hear from you. Um, your questions about uh, finances, investing, financial planning, anything basically you can think of. And by the way, today we're accepting trivia questions as well. Um, feel free to get a hold of us. We can be reached at email. Uh, it's contact at empiradio.com or on the air live today at 866-472-5790. So, Ken, where where were we from the break? We were uh, just going through this uh, article that I pulled off of uh, at the Wall Street Journal uh, site, and it was a smart money uh, guy here, Brett Ahrens, and it was 10 bogus investing truths. Yeah, okay. 
and he was saying they're in conventional wisdom. And uh, we were going about, we were talking about, he says, the cash on the sideline, sidelines will drive this market higher. And I get, I get just from the first few of them here, the indication that he's not a huge bull market or a bull, uh, yeah, he's not bullish, it, it would appear. Um, he says uh, this line came, and, he, and we, we were saying that he says it's a total myth. Um, for every buyer, there must be a seller. Um, so if someone on the sideline takes $1,000 and uses it to buy Exxon, uh, then someone else must sell $1,000 of Exxon. And what, I'm, what I, I would just comment on is uh, certainly what, what the person who holds, just like any other good, um, there's a reason why you're not selling it, right? Because you're happy to hold it at the current price it is. What would entice you to sell it, though, would be a higher price. So when money does cash that is out there comes into the stock market, um, the reason why stocks would increase would be that you have to entice the people currently holding all the shares to let go of those shares. And they may need to do that at a higher price. When nobody wants to be in this, when more people want to be out of the of the stock market, right? You still have to find someone to buy your buy your share. Yeah, but that's why the stock market goes down. Is they're not going to be enticed to buy it at the current price. They will be enticed to buy it at a lower price. And the reason for that, all things being the same, would be, well, I'm going to demand a higher rate of expected future return. If their perception is that there is a lot of risk or that we are going to have a slowdown. So if a company isn't going to make the kind of money that it did, was previously estimated to make, in order for me to buy that stock then, in order and get the same return for the risk I'm taking, which the risk may be even perceived as higher now, yeah. I, I need to have it at a lower price because that price purchase is a function of the return I get for the dividend that's paid and for the future earnings growth that's paid that would potentially be retained. But I, I don't know if he fully understands that. He seems to be dismissing that, that, yeah, if there was a bunch of cash on the sidelines that ultimately would re-enter the market, there's a high likelihood that that money re-entering the market would drive stock prices up because those who are holding the shares, right. yeah. in order to be enticed to sell them, right, because yeah. they're already happy to hold them, somebody's holding them, um, would have to let them go, and they would likely let them go at a higher price. Yeah. That's how that works. Now, companies also buy stock shares, and I think he talks about that, and we'll get into that, uh, and then they can issue shares of stock as well. So uh, while that is true that for every buyer there's a seller, there can be um, and traditionally has been this expansion of shares in the market because companies or new companies are coming online and they're issuing more shares. Markets are efficient. So here's his next um, thing. So he's saying that conventional wisdom is stating that markets are efficient. Would you agree with that, Ethan? Uh, well, I think that markets are pretty pretty informationally efficient. Would you agree that it's conventional wisdom, though, that markets are efficient? I think the most mo – I would say no, because most of the folks, most investors, don't invest as if it is. Not only do they not invest, but it didn't even exist 40-plus – the first research on this whole thing came out in 1966, right? <laughs> right. With Professor Fama. Prior to that, so if you said conventional wisdom, I, I, I would tend to think like, well, conventional wisdom goes back a long time, you know. Um, sure. But the the early research was done on that, and it's only been tested 
you know, and really, really debated here, I would say in the last 20 years is where things, you know, uh, I think that early research wasn't exactly, certainly wasn't accepted immediately when Eugene Fama published his first paper on this concept of market efficiency. Was it embraced by the investment community and accepted as conventional wisdom? No way. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's so true. he might want to brush up on on his, on his capital market work here. I don't think that's conventional wisdom. Is it accepted in most academic circles that markets have a certain level of efficiency to them um, to a degree? And even there, there's a debate, right? So Schiller, for example, yeah, right, tends to think or would stay in, in my discussion with him that, hey, markets are irrational, right? That, that they... Bubbles do occur um, and collapses, and people become overly pessimistic and optimistic, and so prices therefore don't always re- reflect what ultimately the fundamental value would would point to, right, in a share. But when I've heard Professor Fama from University of Chicago, who was the author of this speak, he says, "Well, what I, I was, what my contention is, is that mar- I'm not saying that markets are rational, or that they are always priced exactly at the right price." What I'm saying in, as it re- relates to efficiency is that we all have pretty good access to the same uh, information. And there are a lot of very, very bright people um, out there trying to exploit any inf- inefficiencies um, in, and dispar- disparities between the information and ability to, to actually digest that information and come up with a value. And it's very hard for any one of them to consistently beat the other market participants, um, and if they do, it's not because they're getting access to, you know, other than insider information, which we know is illegal. Mm-hmm. And your and your friend Martha Stewart Stewart found out. She's familiar with that. She's familiar with that. So let me read his thing though. You know the line: stock and bond prices uh, reflect all available information. Attempts to outperform are fruitless. Is what he's saying. Not long ago, this myth dominated Wall Street. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that uh, a time where that's dominated Wall Street. <laughs> At least not when we measure how many, how how much. Do you know how much Ethan of of, of money is invested, uh, at least publicly, um, in investment funds? Is in in index type of funds who would traditionally be kind of paired up with the market efficiency guys. Right. And how much are in the active funds that are out there trying to beat the market through inefficiencies? Well, I guess, sure. I mean, I don't know the answer, but... Well, it's less than 20%. Yeah, it's less, it's it, last I checked, it's somewhere between 12 and 16%. And that's today. Yeah. That's after all the, the research on the huge amounts of research on the, on the just overwhelming failure of these market beating attempt these guys out there attempting to beat the market through active approach so it's never been dominated uh not long ago the smith dominated dominated wall street not at all couldn't be further from the truth i think in academia it's probably more so more more widely accepted no question about that but wall street no way no i agree no way the supreme court he said even ruled on its rulings but this is nonsense. Three months ago, Greek government bonds were already trading as if a default were nearly inevitable. The yield on the one-year Greek bond was 35%. At the same time, the Russell 2000 index of small company stocks was at 850, nearly an all-time high and a record compared to the price of large company stocks. So back then, efficient 
quote, he puts it in efficient market, was simultaneously betting that Greece would default and small companies would keep booming and investors would continue to want more risk in their portfolios. And then he says, on which planet? We only got a few seconds here, Ethan, but do uh, you have any quick comments before we take a breather? I'm a little baffled by, it, by you're the, baffled, the summary. You're befuddled. I don't understand what he's actually saying here. I'm confused. Maybe you could explain it to me. I don't know what he's actually driving at. Well, um, I think if I try to understand what he's saying is the yield on the Greek was 35. So uh, I'm assuming that the yield being at 35%, he's saying the market is was was really predicting a, a, a default. A right? default. I get that yeah, part. Right. That part um, makes sense to me. And even today, right, we're still not sure they're not going to default. So I'm not quite sure what he's saying there. That seems to be the market working pretty efficiently. If if there's a high likelihood of default, investors are going to demand a very, very high yield. I mean, where treasuries are exactly. are yielding a couple of percent, depending on the maturity, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're doing 35. It's because people aren't too sure about what's going on there. Now, the fact that the Russell 2000 index of small companies was trading at, at some high level, um, I, I'm assuming he's saying, well, why would why why are why are people doing that? Um, that's not rational or efficient because he thinks or he presupposes that he knows what's going to happen with small companies. What I do know is after the crisis, small companies got hit pretty hard and coming out of recessions traditionally – Smaller companies tend to grow faster and do do a little bit better. Yeah, as but, we uh, as we entered August, I know that small companies, specifically small cap value, were down 25 percent in that range from the recent peak. I like your style. I mean, that's that seems like that's pretty informationally efficient. They they were knocked down pretty quickly. So I, I'm not I don't really understand what planet this guy is talking from. And the small companies talking about are U.S. small companies, not Greek small companies. So hmm. um, to me, they're apples and oranges. Uh, price of uh, debt on Greece being related to the price that someone pays for a company that happens to be of a smaller size that's making money in the United States. Yeah. But uh, my the general point I would make is that uh, he's got it wrong here about the conventional wisdom being markets are efficient. And a lot of people don't understand what the real implications of that are. Right. I guess we got to take a quick break, Ethan. Let's do it. We'll do it. We'll, we'll come right back to this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken and Ethan here. If you want to give us a call, uh, reach out to us at 1-866-472-5790. You know, Ethan, if you want to call us here at the firm throughout the rest of the week at Empirical and talk to one of us or one of our advisors about how we can help you, uh, I know we are offering to do a free um, retirement analysis, and I don't know that... Uh, you could pick a better time to re- review your retirement plans and situation. So uh, we're happy to do that for you. So, again, give us a call at the firm here at uh, 1-800-923-4307. But for the radio show, it's the other number. And you can email us at contact at empiradio.com. All right, Ethan. So we're just we're talking about uh, these uh, notes here on... Uh, Ten bogus investing truths from Brett Ahrens with the uh, looks like Smart Money, um, and uh, we just went through the market efficiency discussion, clarified that. Yep. And uh, with pinpoint clarity, Ethan, you you cut through that argument. This <laughs> um, other one was share bar. I guess convention. His view of conventional wisdom is that share buybacks will drive the market higher. Um, 
and then he kind of goes on to explain, well, it didn't work because companies uh, were buying back shares. Um, I don't know if you have any comments about that. I don't. I think we should skip that one. Go to the next one. Yeah. Next uh, one is uh, to get higher returns, you have to take on more risk. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Okay. Do you um, want to read it? Well, I'll read it a little bit, and then we can. Yeah, let's you, do it. I'd love to hear your comments. Um, okay. So th- this is what the, the article says. It says, this one is still alive, but is it really stro- so straightforward? Back in 2000, I had lunch with lunch in London with a very wise old portfolio manager. He told me to sell all my stocks and buy inflation-protected U.S. bonds. As it happens, I didn't own many stocks, uh, but I was a young whippersnapper who had grown up during the two-decade bull market, and I didn't see much appeal in tips as the safest, um, the safest supposedly dullest investment around. After all, I was a, uh, wasn't a young investor supposed to be taking on risk anyways. So anyway, he, he goes on to say in the article that you know, the, the 10-year period – yeah, it's pretty shocking. Um, the ten years, the, the subsequent ten years in the Vanguard Inflation Protected Securities Fund uh, had apparently more than doubled the money over that the next decade. Uh, while he compares that to the S and P, which obviously lost money over that period of time. So, kind of, kind of a interesting thing. I mean, conceivably, I guess the the tips are supposedly safer. Uh, how how is it possible then that they outperformed the S and P over that time, Ken? Well, it's very possible. Not only is it possible, but you should you should build into your plan that it will happen. The naivete exists if if you uh, don't think it will happen from time to time, and furthermore, if you rely on a, a portfolio manager who's making predictions about the two um, over short periods of time, he may have been right in this particular circumstance. I would I would argue, and I would love to see if there was a printed record of what his arguments were at that point in time, and for how long he thought that the the differential between the two would exist. See what I'm saying? It's one thing to be right, but it's another thing to be right for reasons that were not did not turn out to be the reasons you thought you were going to be right. <laughs> right. Um, and and. Furthermore, when we look at a diversified, globally diversified portfolio of equities, they did far, far better than just owning large cap U.S. growth stocks. So when you say stocks, you have to be very clear about what you mean by that. So if we look at the empirical portfolios, and we don't put everybody in stocks, that's not the point. Right. The point is that you should let what your desire for return and understand, again, this comes to understanding market history, understanding that the longer the time span, um, the less risky stocks become. Right. And, and so this idea of being rewarded for taking on more risk, well, again, it's, it's a, you're, you, you are not educated in how the market works if you think that that applies in very short term intervals. That, Hey, I'm, I should get a higher rate of uh, return. Over every period? Over a, a one-day investment horizon if I buy stocks versus buying a tip. No, that's insane, right? The real risk uh, diminishes over time. Stocks are riskier. And so you will get a, you will expect or you should expect to get a higher rate of return. You just don't expect it. The, the shorter the period the higher the, the odds are that you'll have a negative return right. or you will you come in and, and wind up doing uh, less than a bond or less risky portfolio might do, which is why we tend to not recommend for short-term uh, goals 
having a, a, a portfolio of aggressive stocks. And sure. then secondly, why would we would why we would diversify on a global basis? Yeah, exactly. The, the global portfolio uh, relative to the S and P over that period of time did far far better than just the S and P. I mean, not even close. However, I do think that he got it right. This is one of the one of the few here so far that it is conventional wisdom that the higher the returns, that you have to take on more risk. I would agree that even active, um, you know, money managers uh, and or Wall Street in general would make that proposition, and I. I think it's it's conventional wisdom that has been backed by adequate empirical and, and scientific data that that's true. You know, otherwise the whole system would break down. Yeah, I agree with that. Nobody would make bets or invest in stocks if there wasn't a relationship between return and, and risk. Right? You would always buy a less uh, aggressive or less risky asset if it had the same return. Yeah, or higher return. So what he what he doesn't understand is the function of time and how that relates to those two asset classes. Japan can't happen to us. What do we got here, Simon? A couple minutes? Two minutes? Uh, Japan can't happen to us. For the past decade, we've been told repeatedly that the fate that has befallen Japanese investors, two decades of losses, with no end in sight, couldn't possibly happen to us. We're America. We have much freer and more open economy. We have price disclosure and free markets. We have great productivity gains. Unlike their stagnant economy, uh, did I mention we're America? He said, "Ha! Huh, since the peak in 2000, investors in the stock market have lost 30% in real terms." So he's adjusting it for the inflation. And uh, even after that, the U.S. market is far from cheap. So uh, all sorts of things that befell Japan are now happening to us: collapsing interest rates, sagging real estate, and he goes on and on and on. Well, in this case, I don't know. I can't comment intelligently if that was conventional wisdom that we're not Japan. Yeah. Um, I, I have heard people say that we're not Japan, but I, again, our, we would propose that uh, you diversify. Japan is a perfect example of why you diversify on a global basis. I totally agree with that. Um, and our current troubles and, and the financial crisis that we went through was also a perfect reason why you don't pick one country. What's going on with the countries in Europe? They're all they're they're not indicators that I don't ever invest in stocks or a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds. They're indicators of why you need to diversify. Well, that's it for the show today, Ethan. Thanks we're, a lot, Ken. We're out of time, so we can pick this up next week. Thanks right. for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. enjoyed empirical investing radio with ken smith and ethan broga please join us again next thursday afternoon at 5 p.m eastern time and 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel and for more information about empirical investing radio please call 800-923-4307 we'll see you next week